Ugh, damn, I need a jump. Not to worry, Aaron. I have jumper cables in my car. Now, red is the color of communism, right? Right. And communism is a positive thing. So put the reds on the positives of both batteries. Okay. Now, red may be a positive, but what is black? Uh... Black is a negation on the color spectrum. Oh. So black goes on the negative terminal of their battery. Oh, okay. And, and the black goes on the negative terminal of my battery no, as well? No, oh, no, 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 no. Okay. Just remember, you want nothing to do with negativity. So just attach your black clip to some bit of unpainted metal away from the battery. Okay, so just to recap, red is communism, therefore positive. Right. And black is negative, so I want nothing to do with that. Clip it onto the metal on mine and the negative on theirs. Correct. Okay, well let's start this thing up. I said communism was positive! Too bad I'm an American! This is why they burned heretics back yeah, in the day. Exactly. Because it was more like other people were like, wow, look at those Christians over there doing those awful things. And the Christians were like, no, yeah. they're not real Christians. We're burnt. Look, they're on fire. <laughs> we did that. Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. You know, this podcast needs more fart jokes. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, no. <laughs> um... <laughs> We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurish best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So James, who do we have this week? John Ziska and David Berg. And approximately how many of these people are cult leaders? Uh, one. So at least half. Yes, at least half. Perfect. And cult leaders are my favorite type of person to talk about, so I'm talking about that one. Fine, fine. Uh, hey, brighten up there, James. Your guy's probably cool, too. Yeah, well, enough. I say we go. To the history lab! A blind warrior and a madman. That's all I got. It gets weird today, ladies and gentlemen. Real, real weird. What the hell? Aaron! Lord, history has been here. No! No! He shot computer! Computer! No! I did everything I could, but it wasn't enough. No, no, shh! You did brilliantly, computer. Now hold on, I'm calling Bill Gates! Oh, it's too late for me. I feel my bits failing me. Don't you die on me, goddammit! Don't you die, you hear? Tell, tell the internet, I love her. Hey, we have a spare. Oh, okay, set it up. Sweet! Computer, please bring up Jan Ziska. Is it Jan? It's John. John. Yep. John Ziska and David Berg. Affirmative, my lord. So, <laughs> so tell me, James, uh, what is John Ziska best known for? John Ziska is best known for being the military commander of the Hussite religious movement. Ah, the Hussites, my favorite of the ites. Yes. And uh, what did he look like? No idea. Ah, there's nothing on his description. Uh, so what can we assume about his his? Uh... Well, there's a pretty cool painting of him okay. uh, in a battle, and he's giant and covered in armor, and he's got a flowing blonde beard. Oh, so I, I guess we'll just use we know that. that much. Yeah, sure. Okay. Mm. Uh, so tell me about David Berg. Well, David Berg is known for being insane. Oh, no. And for founding a new religious movement that was called Teens for Christ. Okay. Later changed to uh, the Children of God and then changed to the Family International. I've heard of that. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, I know nothing about it, though. Yeah. I well, also know nothing about David Berg's physical description. Oh, well, I'm glad you asked, James. Uh, he <laughs> looks like a consumptive Keebler elf. That strongly believes zucchinis ought to be shoes. Yes. This is a man who looks every bit as whacked as a typical caffeine-slurping college student. Uh, if that college student were a head case wearing a human face to breakfast. Uh, this person is so batshit looking that I found him attached to a creepypasta. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, this person is so batshit looking that I found... <laughs> You're crazy. Okay. 
This person is so batshit looking that if I found him attached to a creepypasta, I'd lose sleep for a week. Oh no. Like Santa Claus, but a jerk. Holy shit. <laughs> so, uh, you know, let's not talk about that elf yet. Let's okay. talk about Jean Ziska. Yes. So. so, John was born around the year 1360 in Bohemia, Germany. Okay. Uh, he came from an aristocratic family and somewhat wealthy family. We have nothing about his childhood, but eventually he made his way up to serving as the chamberlain for Queen Sophia of Bavaria. What is a chamberlain? I'm glad you asked. Uh, ah. It basically meant that he managed the royal household and such. Okay. So, bookkeeping and things like Cooking, that. Cooking, cleaning. I, well, probably not <laughs> as much. <laughs> More administrative stuff. Chamber pots. Yes. Chamber lane. <laughs> uh, we're moving on. Okay. Uh, eventually, though, and again, we don't have the details, but John gave up his aristocratic life and probably became a bandit for a uh, while okay. before eventually becoming a mercenary because there were quite a few wars going on. Ah, okay. Uh, one of the biggest wars in the region was the epic struggle between the Kingdom of Poland allied with the Grand Duchy of Lithuania versus the brutal cru Crusader Teutonic Order. Okay, I have no idea what those things are, but I heard you say Duchy, so... Uh, well, <laughs> yes. Uh, all you need to know is the culmination of this war came with the Battle of Grunwald in 1410. And if that's the, not a name of a battle, I don't know what it is. Oh, uh, yeah, Battle of Grunwald, <laughs> yes. that's it. Uh, interestingly enough, it was one of the largest battles in medieval history. Wow. Uh, in this battle, the Poles and Lithuanians managed to crush the Teutonic Order, and the Order never recovered. I cannot believe that this did not show up in Assassin's Creed. Uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, John fought as a mercenary in this battle on the Polish side. During the battle, it is believed that he was shot in the eye with an arrow. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, although he survived, he was forever blind in one eye and wore an eye patch from then uh, Now, hold on. Uh -huh. Okay. You said that John was born in 1360, right? Yeah. And then you said this battle happened in 1410, yes? Yes, this is also correct. Okay, so uh, John is 50 already. You're supposed to be talking about his early life. Oh, yeah, just just wait. Um, turns out John's real story doesn't begin until he was 50 years old. Oh. Yeah, so, <laughs> so that is why I summed up his first 50 years into a single paragraph. Well, and that about makes sense, because this is, we're talking uh, medieval history, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. And I'm just about to go into uh, modern history, which means that I have so much more to say about David Berg's early life. Excellent. Yeah. Let's get into it. Okay. <clears throat> David Berg. Holy shit, this is a person! I am so uh, excited. <laughs> was born in February 1919 in Oakland, California. Hmm. He was the youngest of three in a Christian evangelist family. And we're not just talking about his immediate family. His whole legacy is filled with ministers, theologians, religious writers, and all other kinds of stuff. Good. Uh, yeah. His grandfather was a minister for what was called the Disciples. Disciples of Christ, okay. which is really a mainline Protestant faction, pretty big, liberal, honestly. Hmm. Uh, after a dramatic conversion in his 20s, he spent tw uh, years, not 20 years, but just a few years, hmm. traveling as an evangelist in America. So uh, basically Billy Sunday so far. Right. <laughs> so uh, all in all, little David was steeped in the evangelical tradition and really seemed to like it. Okay. Yeah. So far, so good, I yeah, guess. Yeah. I know, but th these uh, th stories that start that way, for us, they usually don't yeah. turn out that good. Yeah. And I'll tell you right now, it ain't going to turn out good. Oh, mm -mm. No, sir. Mm -mm. Another thing he wrote about pretty consistently was how happy he was to be raised in such a nice Christian family with such ha uh, such a healthy religious background. Okay. Uh, he was sure that the only reason, this was the only reason that he hadn't turned into a completely lost sinner. And, uh... Yeah. <laughs> so his upbringing was yeah, okay. His upbringing was He's what saved him from. That. Yeah, it couldn't have been his own moral character, and right. we will see why. <laughs> oh no. Uh, now, interestingly enough, David's mother was once an atheist. Hmm. Yeah, she had apparently partied pretty hard in college. Uh, but had an accident that broke her back and left her bedridden for years. Oh, years. Yeah. Jeez. It was at the end of this time that she claimed that she had been divinely healed by excessive prayer and whatnot. Uh -huh. The problem was, divine healing was not officially recognized as a thing by the disciples of Christ, and the family was expelled from the church. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just over that. Just over that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, miracles. Those don't happen. No, sir. <laughs> Definitely not in the Bible. <laughs> well, uh. Anyway, this all happened just before David was born, and when he was born, he found himself in a new denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which is definitely stolen from Star Wars. Right, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> now, this alliance was not all that different from most Protestant denominations as far as doctrine goes. Fair enough. Except they uh -huh. did that believe, believe that Jesus was coming back, like, right now, and oh, that you could pray for the sick to get better, and it would work. Sometimes. 
All right. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> David's born into this kind of thing. Not that unusual. Plenty sure. of people believe this stuff, after all. And David spends his first few years of life traveling on mission strips with the parents on revival runs. And after all this, they settled in Miami for 14 years and led all kinds of tabernacle revivals there. Okay. Yeah, so Billy Sunday 2! <laughs> uh, unfortunately, and kind of weirdly enough, they were poor, unlike Billy Sunday. Right. The religious revival thing wasn't really paying off for them. Hmm. Uh, and this turned little David into a very stingy kind of person, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it will come up later, so it's worth mentioning. Uh -oh. uh, but we've got David all the way past 18, which means his early life is all but over. Okay. Yeah. See, well, I did it right. I didn't stop it. I didn't start at 50. Yeah. yeah. That's my okay. bad. Okay. Okay. Uh, hmm. That's all right. But well, do you want to take a break? I want to take a break. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Jean Ziska's adult life. And it's going to get saucy. <laughs> And we are back to We Talk About Dead People. And when we left off, we were talking about David Berg's early life. And now we're going to move into Jean Ziska's early life. Yes. So we're on to his adult life. Ah, I uh, said his <laughs> What? I said his early life, and you just fixed me, and you said adult life. Oh, I didn't even mean to. No. Well, oh, well, well, actually, we're kind of both wrong, because it's his life after, <laughs> after 50, 50 years yeah. old. <laughs> uh, let's just skip this part, go straight to end and death. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, no, no. There's okay. a lot in between... Age 50 and death. Okay. Yes. So, to get on with John Ziska's life, though, I have to tell briefly about this dude named John Huss. Oh! Yes. Okay. Now, John Huss was a theologian who started talking in the early 1400s about all sorts of problems he had with the Catholic Church. Oh, so like Martin Luther, but earlier. Exactly. Okay. Um, he is often seen as the first reformer, other than John Wycliffe. Okay. Uh, now we got to make a quick note to the listeners, I think. We know that we just covered Martin Luther last week, and now we're talking about John Huss. We don't hate Catholics. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, we've kind of just picked these guys because they led fascinating lives. We just passed the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and both Aaron and I grew up with Protestant backgrounds. Yes. Anything you want to add to that? Uh, I want to add that if you have lots of Protestant friends, they're all going to be posting about Reformation Day every <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> year. And if you have any Catholic friends, they're all going to be posting about how much of a douche Martin Luther was <laughs> And they're not wrong. <laughs> no, they're not wrong, as we learned last week. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so more about John Huss. Okay, John Huss. So he had quite a few problems with the Catholic Church. Okay. I think we'll definitely cover him more in a future episode, but here's what you need to know about him for now. He didn't like indulgences. He didn't like crusades at all. That's a good thing. Yeah, and, a, and he also believed that the Pope should not have the power to summon armies, but should instead preach things like praying for, your, praying for and forgiving your enemies. Oh, which okay. is good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he also did not think that the church should be a hierarchical system with the Pope at the head, but should instead include all believers of all denominations from all ages with Christ as their head. Ah. So okay. very Protestant-y. Yes. Yeah. That is very Protestant-y. Christ and head. That's very Protestant. Oh, careful how you say that. Yeah. Well, um, it's it's. I'm not even gonna make that joke. Nope. I give up. Quit. I quit. Okay. <laughs> uh, back to John Huss. Uh, he really hated head. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, he really hated how corrupt the Catholic Church was, and in particular hated how it took advantage of the poor. Ah. And I have to read one of his quotes. Okay. He is credited with saying, One pays for confession, for mass, for the sacrament, for indulgences, for churching a woman, for a blessing, for burials, for funeral services, and prayers. Ah. The very last penny which an old woman has hidden in her bundle for fear of thieves or robbery will not be saved. The villainous priest will grab it. Uh, oh, shit! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a fan. Wow. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, the Catholic Church did not like this guy, yeah. and he was burned at the stake as a heretic in the year 1415. He kind of deserved it. I guess. I mean, he did. <laughs> he had some good points. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyway, why is this all important? Well, it turns out a lot of people really liked what John Huss had to say. Not surprising. No. Poor people and farmers particularly liked him and decided to rally around his death in order to defy the Catholic Church. Oh. These people became known as Hussites, ah. named after John Huss. That's creative. Yep. <laughs> and they are seen kinda as an early Protestant Reformation group, even though this predated the actual Reformation by several decades. Ah. Yes. 
So anyway, that's kind of setting the stage. So for about four years, the Hussites were somewhat allowed to practice their version of Christianity rather than follow the Catholic Church. That's surprising. But when King Wenceslas IV, oh. and that is not the Wenceslas of the Christmas song, Aww. it is the fourth one, Okay. Uh, he died in 1419, and what followed was a power vacuum in the region. Okay. See, Wenceslas's half-brother, King Sigismund, Sigismund? Sigismund? I think it's Sigismund. Sigismund of Hungary decided it was a good time to make a move to secure territory in Bohemia and southern Germany. Ah! The Hussites didn't like this idea because they correctly assumed that King Sigismund would try and put a stop to this Hussite heresy. Ah! So these Hussites, who are mostly Bavarian farmers and peasants, remember, made their first rebellious action by marching into the city of Prague, going to the city hall, grabbing a dozen or so of the city leaders, and then throwing them out of the building's upper windows oh, to kill them. Oh! No! <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, no. So now the Hussites were not simply followers of a heresy, they were now political rebels as well. And murderers. Yeah, yeah. yeah kind of. <laughs> this uh, meant they had to be crushed. Mm. Now... Why is this at all relevant? I don't know. Well, remember that our guy is named John Ziska. Okay. And remember that he is 50 year... Wait, what am I saying? <laughs> uh, anyway, do you remember that 50-year-old mercenary? Yes, I do remember that 50-year-old mercenary. Well, it turns out that John really liked that other John's, John Huss's, teachings. Oh! Ziska became a devout follower of Huss, and now that the Hussites were in open rebellion, mm -hmm. Ziska decided he, de he needed to militarize the Hussites if they were to survive. Oh, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Yep. Uh, okay. <laughs> yes. So now it's the year 1419. John is about 60 years old. Ah. And we have barely talked about him at all. But now it is time. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes. So John began to organize the Hussites into some sort of fighting force, but there were some severe problems with this. First of all, he only had about 400 people. That's not that many. <laughs> no. Secondly, none of these guys were actually fighters. Also not good. And I should also say that they weren't all guys. It was women, men, and children. Wow. Yes. Uh, children? And children. I'm not, no, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's an odd fighting force. back then, you were only a child from one to three. Exactly. <laughs> you were a full-grown person. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> So basically, these were all simple farmers and peasants who had mm. never actually held a weapon before and had absolutely no knowledge of how to fight. Well, how hard could it be? All you gotta do is swing it. <laughs> never say that again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thirdly, all of Catholic Europe wanted to crush the Hussites. Uh, classic Catholic both, Europe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, both the Kingdom of Hungary and the Holy Roman Empire began mobilizing gigantic armies of professional knights and soldiers, while the Pope started thinking about organizing possible crusaders against the Hussites. Ah. So things did not look so promising for John Ziska and the Hussites. Mm -mm, there's gonna be a crusade. Yes. Mm. But the Hussites were so fervent in their beliefs that they did what they could to organize. So John gets more, gets these 400 guys, and then they are almost immediately ambushed by 2,000 heavily armored soldiers from the Bohemian government sent to squash the mob. Oh, wow. So 400 farmers versus 2,000 cavalrymen. Great odds. Yeah, you know, I've seen you play Total War, and mm. this doesn't go well most no. of the time. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, but here we go. John was no idiot. Aaron, what do farmers have a lot of? Tractors, iced tea, corn, and sexy bodies. Mm. Well, I, I mean, yes. <laughs> uh, but this is the 15th century, so okay. these farmers pretty much only have wagons and basic farm tools. The most prevalent farm tool they had was the flail, which was used for threshing grain. Oh. I'm now going to describe the flail, uh, but it is important. Okay. <laughs> so the flail was a long staff with another shorter rod connected to the end of it by a chain so that it could be swung around to separate grain from husks. Oh. Yes. So now you know about 15th century threshing. Now I know that the flail came from farmers. Yeah. <laughs> so John made the farmers reutilize the flail into a weapon by putting spikes on the wavable end of the tool. Ooh. Now it was a swingable club that could easily get around shields and crush armor. Wow. Next, John got together what wagons he had, chained, chained them together into a makeshift wall, fortified them as much as possible, and then placed about 20 men to each wagon. These men were further divided into highly organized military military units. Four to eight of the soldiers used crossbows, six to ten used flails or pikes to ward off attackers, 
Two men were given shields, and their job was to basically protect the other guys in the cart. Wow. And later, when John got early handguns, two men used handguns. Holy shit! So, yeah, very organized very fast. Very organized street violence. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is like Mad Max shit right here. Road warrior. Just wait. Get used to these militarized carts. John uses them in pretty much all of his battles. Okay, so you're telling, like, uh, farmer tanks. Got it. Exactly. In fact, his Modern historians have called these cards basically early immobile tanks. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, who called it? You did. <laughs> uh, the crossbow men and the gunners would force the enemy to approach. Once getting to the carts, though, the spearmen and flailmen inside would ward off the attackers. I think my favorite thing are the two guys holding shields, though. And they're just, yeah, just they're to defend. <laughs> <laughs> what is that noise? They <laughs> 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 gave it to the pacifists in the group. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> John Kasich up there. Let's stop fighting, fucking <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, that is historical, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, John Kasich was there. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, anyway, back to the carts. They were also usually heavily reinforced with wood and other materials, and even had a makeshift roof that could protect against volleys of projectiles. Wow. Uh, finally, when not used in combat, the carts were helpful to John's army because they could be used to move supplies and, most importantly, protect gunpowder supplies from rainfall. Oh, okay. So, yeah, pretty useful things. Oh, now, we actually haven't talked about John's life. No, so, I feel like this is just an excuse for you to talk about a, a battle, a peasant uprising well, of some kind. Yeah. yeah. Okay, a little bit. A little bit. Okay. There's some pretty cool battles in this story, and oh. I, I do like those battles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's the only way I get off. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, I need uh, to just. This is like one of those moments where I just need to pull out a gun and shoot you. Uh, so I'm gonna do it. I can't it. blame you. I'm gonna do it. All right. Fuck. Any last words? Uh, to be is not to be as long as Obama. You can see. What? Well, <laughs> I don't Die know. Just shoot. Okay. Okay. So now that we have sufficiently covered how John turned his mob of farmers into a fighting force. Let us return to the battle at hand. All right. This was the Battle of Nekmir, in okay. which 2,000 Bavarian cavalrymen ambushed the Hussite carts. Mm, but who was ambushing who? <laughs> uh, good uh. question. The horsemen charged the carts, but were mowed down upon approaching and then completely unable to break through the line of defensive carts. Huh. The result was a complete Hussite victory, and the Hussites began to just totally fall in love with John Ziska for being such a brilliant commander. I mean, that is pretty amazing that it, he got 400 is. untrained farmers to fend off 2,000 Bavarian cavalry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that This is the least impressive battle that he fights. Just wait. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, I think I say this later, but interestingly enough, John Ziska is one of the very few military commanders in all of history who never lost a battle. Wow. There's not many of them. Wow. uh, And he has won. So, spoiler alert. That's amazing. (laughs) Anyway, the next year in 1420... Blaze it! What? It's 420. 1420. 420. Did I say 420? No, you said 1420. But I wanted to make it... Oh, we fucked. (laughs) Okay, so... 1420! <laughs> uh, yeah. So in that year, another 2,000 Bohemian soldiers came across the 400 Hussites. So there's 400 left. Yeah, they didn't lose guys. Oh, wow. Or they've gained a few or more. Or children. They didn't lose children. <laughs> That's good, too, yeah. Uh, anyway, at this battle, the Hussites waved the white flag in order to avoid a fight, but the Bohemians blatantly ignored them and charged. John organized his men the same way he had before, and the Hussite cart strategy totally annihilated the Bohemians. Wow. This was the Battle of Sudomir. You'd think they would have learned from the last 2,000 people that... Yeah. But, you know, Bohemians, Bavarians, hmm. I I was reading an interesting book about the Hundred Years' War between the French and the English, and the funny thing about that is the English beat the French in, like, the the Battle of Agincourt, the Battle of Crecy, the Battle of Tours. They beat the French in the same way every time. So historians are like, well, why didn't the French really learn? And I think the the main reason was they're all aristocrats and Mm. totally just uh, self-absorbed, and they didn't want to admit they had lost to such stupid tactics. Wow. So they kept falling in the same battle every time. That's that's kind of reminds me of all those de- depictions of the Revolutionary War where the Americans are like hiding behind the trees and shit <laughs> right, and the yeah. redcoats are just in this valley, you know, with their bright red uniforms. <laughs> in a line. The yeah. Americans are all just like sniping them cleverly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Okay, back to the Hussites. Okay, so at this point in time, all of Catholic, Catholic Europe was really starting to hate them. <laughs> they didn't hate them already? Uh, no, now they really hated them. Uh, in 1420... Blaze it. Fuck. <laughs> uh, Pope Martin V, I don't know why that name is funny to me, but it I, is. <laughs> it's five Martins. Five of them were popes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So he declared a crusade to, quote... For the destruction of John Wycliffe, Hussites, and all other heretics in Bohemia. Ah. Uh, yes. So, King Sigismund of Hungary was the first to respond. He allied with many German princes, gathered a host of adventurers and free fighters, and marched to the city of Prague with about 100,000 troops. Oh, shit. That's a lot of guys. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, the citizens of Prague, although not officially in support of the Hussites, saw the invading army as a huge threat to their independence, so they asked John Ziska and the Hussites for help. Okay. <laughs> All 400 of them. Yeah. Uh, John agreed and arrived to Prague with his army. He positioned his troops on, the, on a hill just outside of the city. Uh, now as a quick note, we don't know just how many soldiers John Ziska had at this point, but it was not a lot. Okay. <laughs> In fact, there's good evidence that he only had about 60 guys on the hill. Oh. 60 versus 100,000. Oh. Good odds. Wow. Okay, that's <laughs> yeah. like, that's not even, that's like 10 Helms Deep battles or whatever. No, even worse. <sighs> yeah. I don't even know. Uh, wow. Who knows? Great odds, though. Yeah. So we've already established that John is a pure genius, and he chose this hill for a reason. If the hill were defended, this would prevent the city of Prague from being surrounded adequately for a siege. And it would force the Crusaders to attack the hill. Mm. And this is precisely what happened. Let's take that hill! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, on July 14th, 1420... Please. Don't say it! Say it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh... A hundred thousand crusaders attacked about 60 Hussites on a hill. Uh, okay. Yes. And this is recorded in history because yes. it was a massacre, right? Oh, uh, kind of. Okay. <laughs> the Hussites, of course, were using the same wagon tank method that they had used before, along with making additional battlements for defense. And get this. The bastards did it! No way! <laughs> the Crusaders were unable to scale the fort, and when they started to retreat, John sent soldiers out to chase them they down. They chased them? They chased them down. <laughs> the balls on these I know. guys! <laughs> Holy uh -huh. shit! This is like Swiss Family Robinson or something. <laughs> They're on a hill They've with got a tigers and <laughs> coconut <laughs> bombs. <laughs> exactly. Oh my god. They're oh. gonna remake that movie soon, I'm sure of it. <sighs> Sorry. <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, so the city of Prague was saved, and the first anti-Hussite crusade had failed. For the next six months, the citizens of Prague and the Hussites managed to free basically all of Bohemia. Wow. They elected their own leaders, declared themselves a sovereign kingdom, and elected John Ziska to be their chief military commander. Needless to say, the, Bohemi the Bohemian people just absolutely adored him. Yep. Uh, while freeing Bohemia, John did not take any castles or mansions for himself, but instead he took them for the kingdom. Wow. Historians are eager to point this out because it differentiates him from pretty much all the other leaders of the time. Hmm. <laughs> uh, he was not in this for himself, but instead seems to have really believed in religious freedom, the huh. teachings of John Huss, Bohemian and Czech self-identity, and the common people. Wow. Well, that's moral. Kind of a great guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, John Ziska's soldiers absolutely idolized him. Ah. They didn't call him by any official title like sir or commander, but they just casually called him One-Eyed Ziska. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> yeah. This was soon to change, though, because during one siege, Ziska was shot by an arrow in his other eye. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Leaving him mostly, if not completely, blind. Sweet Jesus! <laughs> they said he could probably make out really basic shapes and colors, but that was about it. Wow. <laughs> But this did not stop him from still fighting in battles. <laughs> this oh, oh. blind 60-year-old man is still fighting on the front lines. That sounds like a bad idea. I, I, uh, maybe not, though. It he is John Ziska. <laughs> yeah, he's my god. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the Catholic world was still bent on destroying the Hussites. King Sigismund of Hungary had not go gotten over beating, being blah, 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 blah. Being, being blah, blah, blah. beaten at Prague. <laughs> uh, so naturally, a second crusade was eventually called to arrive the Hussites once and for all. I get the sense yeah. that this isn't going to work. I mean, I can't be sure. Right. <laughs> but you did tell us he never loses a battle. Oh, well. Oh. Maybe he switches sides? Oh. oh. 
Okay. No, he doesn't. Okay. Uh, so King Sigismund got together another giant army of about 90,000 soldiers or so uh, of Germans and Hungarians, and he marched them to the strategic city of Kutna Hora. That sounds like something out of the Book of Mormon. <laughs> it does. Uh, John Ziska attempted to save the city by marching his vastly inferior force of like 15,000 guys to meet the Crusaders. Oh, which well, I gotta say, it's better than 60 guys. I was guys. gonna say, it's better than 60 or 400, right. 60 into hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so the forces met in the winter of 1421 at the Battle of Kutnahora. Okay. Uh, Ziska began the battle by using cannons to bombard the densely packed Crusader cavalry, which had a devastating effect. Oh. This is historically important because it was the first time that cannons were ever used in the field rather than just for siege battles. Hmm. Oddly enough, the rest of Europe would not adapt the strategy for like another 200 years. That is, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they didn't adopt any other strategy. I mean, they didn't adopt the wagon strategy, did Ooh, they? Well, that's true. When they could have. Yeah. Um, pay mm. attention, Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Use cannons and wagons. Mm hmm. Uh, unfortunately, though, at uh, this battle, luck soon turned against the Hussites. Oh, no! The much larger Crusader force completely surrounded Ziska's army, and defeat seemed imminent. Oh. I picture it like the, the Battle of the Black Gate at the end oh, of Lord yeah. of the Rings, where all the orcs just surround <laughs> Ziska's the, like, the soldiers. For Frodo. Yeah. <laughs> That's what John said. <laughs> For John Huss and Frodo. <laughs> Uh, but once again, uh, well, Ziska, he does his job. Okay. Uh, remember that he is blind and 61 years yes, old. Yes, yes, <laughs> I, I remember. But he organized a final offensive. Oh, offensive? He's surrounded. He orders an offensive. <laughs> oh my god. And how does he do it? <laughs> With war wagons. Uh, what? But. Uh, what? <laughs> but. Instead of using them as a defensive wall like he usually did, oh. Ziska decided to, to turn them into mobile attack units. That's insane! He ordered the wagons into a line facing the portion, portion of the Crusader army where King Sigismund was. Wow. The wagons were then outfitted with gunners and crossbowmen and then pushed towards the Crusader lines. So here come these basically impenetrable wooden tanks coming right towards your lines. Bullets and crossbow bolts are just shooting out from every angle and being a Crusader, like, what do you actually target? <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, it's a wagon. <laughs> Shoot the wood. <laughs> Kill the trolls. <laughs> it's actually good. Who was pushing the wagon? They could have killed it. those guys. God. <laughs> John himself. Well, I met, yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> But anyway, because of this, the crusading army was thrown into chaos because they had no idea what the hell they were dealing with. Well, yeah. <laughs> the Hussites were able to break through the encircling lines and escape, but the battle was not over yet because the vast majority of the crusader army still remained. Okay. Being the dumbass that he was, oh. King Sigismund decided not to pursue the escaping Hussites because he thought they were retreating. Uh. <laughs> they were not retreating. <laughs> no, sir, I bet not. <laughs> they were being regrouped and reorganized by our hero, John Ziska. Uh. Ziska broke some of his army into raiding parties. These parties uh, began harassing the Crusaders and then retreated, usually causing the Crusaders to chase them. Oh. The raiders would then retreat to the Hussite wagon forts, which would promptly unleash a rain of bullets on the Crusaders, utterly destroying them. That's just discouraging, yeah. to say the least. <laughs> uh, these counterattacks effectively destroyed the Crusader army, and King Sigismund was only barely able to escape the Hussites by fleeing on horseback. Wow. The second anti-Hussite crusade had been crushed. Wow. And I think that's where we'll leave it for now. <laughs> wow. Well, that is, like, super different from what we're going to get into with David Berg. It needs to be a movie. We, like, yeah. <laughs> 60 guys on a on a hill against 100,000 crusaders. 300 Spartans, you can kiss John Ziska's ass. <laughs> Well, like in the movie, they should just get Viggo Mortensen and have him do that, because he's like, what, 60-something <laughs> Right, yeah. So he could play one-eyed yawn or no-eyed yawn at the end. Yeah, have two eye patches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> two eye patches with eyeballs drawn on them. <laughs> okay, well, let's take a break, and then when we yeah. come back, we'll be talking about David Berg's adult life. Okay, and we are back to We Talk About Dead People. And when we left off, we were talking about Jean Ziska. Being and, a badass. Yeah, being a, a literally, in, in, like, invincible. What, what, yeah. <laughs> ultimate military genius. It's like he was playing on easy mode in Total War <laughs> exactly, or something. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we're going to talk about David Berg. And let me tell you right now, this is some pretty serious shit. So if you don't like... Oh, boy. Yeah, if you're worried about, like, hearing some... I mean, and you know what I'm talking about. If you're worried about hearing some of that, I recommend you skip this episode because it just gets freaking gross. Oh, no. Okay. 
Uh, but anyway, he was a real guy, and he deserves to get destroyed. So, um, when we left David Berg, he was in Miami with his parents running tabernacle revivals and living check to check. Hmm. But now it's the 1930s, and David is all grown up. He spends the next 10 years of his life helping his mom run a ministry as a traveling evangelist by driving her around, leading praise and worship songs, and basically handling all the details. I'm still on board with all this. Mm-hmm. Yep, stay on board because it... it okay. Well, yeah. You gotta stay on board because you're hosting the show. I know, but um, I might leave. Okay. Uh, anyway, while all this was going on, he was studying to become a minister and finally did become um, er, ordained, I guess. Ordained. Uh, yeah, into the Christian and Missionary Alliance in Arizona. Okay. Yeah. So there's that alliance again. Yeah. But this didn't last long. Uh, Berg got involved with a, quote, church employee. Oh, uh, no. We don't know if it was a human or animal, but we're not sure. Uh, allegedly, he did some... Really? No. I was going to say. But you never know with this well, guy. I'll yeah. tell you right now. Oh, no. Uh, anyway, he allegedly did some of the old sex- sexual misconduct. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was expelled, uh, but he explained this expulsion with racism. Uh. Yeah. He said he had tried to get the Alliance to become more racially diverse. They didn't like that, and they made up a story about sexual misbehavior in order to get rid of him. Uh, okay. Okay. Now, Berg had already gotten married and started a family, but uh. he had nowhere to go now since he'd been kicked out of his church. He had a friend, though, who helped him start a missionary training school as a part of a uh, soul clinic. That's uh, what it's called. What? Not sure what that is. Uh, um, I didn't even bother looking that one up. I was just like, I'm going to let that remain mysterious. Um, um, yeah. Okay. Now, about this time, evolution is being taught in schools. God damn it! God damn those pagans and their evolution. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's easy to forget that the Roman Catholic Church officially recognized evolution as, like, you know, scientific. <laughs> a lot of yeah. people don't know that. Um, but anyway, Berg does not like evolution one bit. No surprise. Uh, facts are vague, but it looks like Berg had a really hard time with this and went out of his way to inconvenience people who supported this. Uh, he inconvenienced them so much, in fact, that he nearly got arrested for it. Oh, wow. This prompted him to do what no one should ever do. No. No one ever, never, ever. Oh, no. He moved to Waco, Texas. No! Okay, he didn't really move to Waco. Oh, (laughs) but he he did move to Western Texas to work at another soul clinic. I feel like there's a lot of those down in Texas. Yeah, I don't even know what they are. Uh, So, um, yeah, but it was close enough for me to make the joke. Sure, there you go. Uh, Anyway, this is where we really get into the nitty gritty of what made David Berg famous. Uh, This is the Children of God slash the Family phase of the story. I'm ready for it. And believe me, it gets real bad. So if you haven't shut it off yet, you're worried about it. Just you know. Just, here's your warning. He wasn't in Texas for too long. Berg was visited in 1965 by his mother, Virginia, who came back personally to deliver a certain prophecy she claimed to have received, which spoke of the last days and the coming of the Antichrist. Good. Even now, this this is a quote, by the way. Oh, no. Even now, the skies are red, red with warning, and black, black, with clouds gathering for the great confusion which is almost upon you. Uh She was kind of scary, too. Uh, So anyway, he moved with his mother to Huntington Beach, California in 1968. And uh, basically, this is where things just kind of go off the chains, but we don't really know what caused it. Okay. Um, Hmm. But here he started an organization known as Teens for Christ by preaching mostly to hippies. I really hope this is not going where I think it's going where you think it's going I'll tell you what Uh, now Teens for Christ didn't last for very long but during this phase we got some odd shit going on that lasts throughout the rest of all of it Mm. Uh, first of all this organization heavily taught messages of in order from least insane to most insane salvation okay Uh, apocalypticism which just means that Jesus is coming back, like, right now. <laughs> okay. uh, spiritual distrust of the outside world. Uh-huh. And something really fucked called the system. Oh, no. Yeah, that's what it's called. No. So let's talk about the system, shall no. we? No, it's not. <laughs> okay, then. No. <laughs> now, the system began innocently enough by encouraging teens to prostitute themselves to non-believers in order to win their hearts for the Lord. What the fuck? (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah, you heard that right. Uh, This is part of a system which I, shit you not, is called flirty fishing. I don't even know what to say. So, okay, let me get this straight. So the the believer teens were supposed to have sex with non-believers. That's exactly right. To evangelize to them? That's exactly right. It's a term derived from Matthew 4.19, in which Jesus tells his disciples that he will make them fishers of men. David Berg took this literally and started calling the attractive females and teens for Christ flirty fishers, 
bait, oh. fisherwomen, and later God's whore. Oh my God! Or hookers for Jesus. <laughs> wow! It's hard not to laugh because it oh. is insane. And I, I learned in psychology that people laugh when they don't know what to think. Right. But I'll tell you what, right now, uh, when I was reading this, I just felt gross. And there's, it's interesting because oh. I found all this material on a website for people who survive the cult. Oh, well, okay. And they, they have a, I mean, they have a support network and everything. Good. Commentaries <laughs> on all of this guy's writings. Um, but yeah, anyway, so here's where it gets even worse. That, uh, that was far worse than what I expected. Yeah. So, uh, David then published documentation on exactly how these girls should do this. Oh God, no. It could be as simple as flirting with guys in order to get them to come to church. Um, but it could also come to the form of literal prostitution. Uh. When a girl would oppose this doctrine, David would remind them that according to 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20, the girls literally did not own their bodies uh, because mm. Jesus had bought them with a price by way of his crucifixion. Fuck. If you're a Christian out there and you're listening to this, I know this is making you madder than it's making me. Right. Uh, because this is a total perversion of yeah. Christian doctrine, yeah. to say the least. Um, <laughs> I yeah. think the Christians would be the first ones to... Th- this is why they burned this. heretics back yeah, in the day. Exactly. Because it was more... Imbe- like, other people were like, wow, look at those Christians. Christians over there doing those awful things, and the Christians are like, no, yeah. they're not real Christians. We're burnt. Look, they're on fire. <laughs> we did that. Uh, so once again, to reiterate, we don't hate Catholics. We don't hate Protestants. No, like, <laughs> no, we just we get it is what we're saying. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, but oh. this practice didn't just stay among single teen girls. Oh fuck. Later on, many of these women would still be practicing this garbage while married oh. and with children. Oh, no. Berg eventually literally just started working with escort services, paying prostitutes to spread the word of Jesus whenever an opportunity presented itself. I'm assuming most of them just took the money and didn't do it. Right. Um, but here's the sad part. Oh no. Uh, the family, Family International claims now that over a hundred thousand people were saved by this practice. The estimated number of people who were contacted this way is over 200,000. Oh my god. Feel sick yet? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I felt sick reading this. How, do they have an estimate on how many girls were? Uh, I don't actually know. Um, <sighs> plenty though. Okay. It was a pretty big movement, and they're still around today. And we'll get there. Oh no! Oh uh, yeah, I know. Wait, anyway, uh, when, sorry. When was this a thing? This is in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, anyway, Teens for Christ eventually became the Children of God, and then the Family of Love, and oh, then finally fuck. the Family, no. which you know that's a cult in SWAT four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it is. It's a good game, everybody. Yeah, a great game. Put it down! Pepper spray. They point a gun at you, you shoot them, then you're fired. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Burke spent a lot of time preaching about the degeneration of Western morals. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, he wrote thousands of essays about the importance of spreading the word of Jesus. By literally any means possible, no obviously. Shit. <laughs> yeah, um, he also wrote about the end of the world a lot and mm. hypothesized constantly about who was the Antichrist. Him? Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, the family visited DC and other big places like Times Square, dressed in sackcloth and proclaiming the end of the world. Ugh. Yeah, and of course, while they were there, they were still doing, you know, the thing. The thing. The, the, the system. system. The system. Um, anyway, uh, Berg actually kind of lived off campus from his little church. Um, he didn't like he didn't go there often. He yeah. communicated to his father er, followers mostly through letters, which he called Mo letters. Uh, why? Uh, why Mo letters? <laughs> well, David had taken to calling himself Moses David, oh, fuck. or King David, oh, or fuck. Father David, or Dad, or Grandpa. What? Yeah, he appeared so rarely that there are almost no photos of him, and most depictions of him in the church drew him as an anthrop- anthropomorphic lion. Oh wow! So. Yeah, Ugh, on top of it of all. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, he commanded that his followers divide up into 12 tribes, ah. like the 12 tribes of Israel. They could only refer to each other as the biblical names which they were given on their induction into their family. Uh, mm. Members handled various duties within the church depending on what tribe they were in, and there were strict rules. Of and this course. is where the, uh, the um, his, what's the word, cheapskatedness comes in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Toilet paper was limited to two sheets a person. There was a buddy wow. system, meaning that no one could ever be alone, ever. Mm. Uh, all outgoing mail was opened and censored. Oh, fuck. The members were taught complete subservience to the church and David Berg. Mm. They were taught that governmental authority was, quote, of Satan. Well, I mean, that's true. Uh, meanwhile, lower class members are eating rotting food and roadkill. Wow. Because oh my God. so stingy. 
I've never heard of this. Yeah, isn't it crazy? Like, everyone talks about David Koresh just because he got, you know, shot up and burned in the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this motherfucker, I mean... So much worse. There was no arrest. Yeah. I mean, there... Really? No. And we'll get... Th- I mean, we'll get to the end of this shit, but... <sighs> Anyway, so he wrote letters of an extreme nature. These are the Mo letters um, yeah. regarding many topics you might expect. He had a real problem with big churches, particularly the Catholic Church. Of course. Yes, of course. He hated capitalism. Really? Yeah, surprisingly. <laughs> uh, also Jews. Oh, yeah, there it we're is. there again. Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, yeah. So this went on for decades. Fuck, no! Uh, I know. <laughs> I there, enough of this. There is no God, James. No. no. Um, not only did Berg write and teach awful things, he allegedly did awful no. things. Mm. Here it comes. He was accused of molesting several children and women in the church. And that's only from the people who came forward. God damn it. Interesting fact, though. Jeremy Spencer, who was a guitarist and founding member of Fleetwood Mac, got oh. sucked into this nonsense and joined TFI in 1971. Huh. Joaquin Phoenix used to be a member of this shit. His whole family, actually. Really? I understand. Wow. Uh, um, so, good for him for getting out? Yes. Maybe that's why he made the master? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, David Berg wrote that his only regret in life was not sleeping with his mom. What? No! <laughs> what the? You're making that I'm shit up! I'm not making that up! No! He wrote it! No! He no. wrote it, James! No. He wrote it! That was his only regret. He wanted to sleep with his mom! James! Don't sing about that! <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just trying to survive! Oh. 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 We've got to stop there, though. Oh. That's enough about him. Oh. It doesn't get much oh. worse. Are you okay over there? He needs to die. Aaron, he needs to die. Well, the good news is the show's called We Talk About Dead People. Good. Uh, so, but you said they're still around today. Oh, oh yeah. Ugh. But we'll get there. Again, we'll get there. There is somewhat of a happy ending to this. We need to take a break. Yeah, we're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about the much cooler Jan Ziska. Yeah, uh, and, I need and, uh, some Ziska. Yeah. <laughs> In a non-sexual way. <laughs> oh my god. Yep, alright. Let's go recover from this shit. Yeah. And we are back to We Talk About Dead People, and when we left off, we were all very depressed. We are here in body, if not in spirit. Yeah, (laughs) humans are shit. (laughs) Um, But hey, let's talk about a a less shitty human, a really great military strategist. Yeah. Let's talk about Noah Ziska. And his end and his death. Okay, so after defeating the crusading armies, John Ziska continued to lead the Hussite and Czech people. In 1423, there was a civil war between these people, and John had to deal with that. Mm. Uh, He also tried to invade Hungary to get back its old enemy, King Sigismund. The invasion didn't really work, but Ziska managed to return back home without losing his army or being defeated. Oh, so he just, like, went in there, won, he's like, nah, I'm not winning well enough. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, but what's amazing is he didn't lose his army, which, in medieval retreats, that was not likely. Yeah. Again, uh, I've seen you play Total War. Right. right. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, in 1424, John Ziska was infected with the plague. Oh! And on October 11th, uh, he died. Oh, God. Yes. His soldiers were utterly devastated by the loss of their beloved leader, and from them on, from then on, they called themselves the Orphans. Ah. Which is really kind of sweet. <laughs> and sad. It is. Really. Yeah. According to legend, John's last wish was that his dead body should be skinned, uh, and that the skin should be made into drums, uh, so that he could continue leading his troops into battle after his own death. And did they do it? It's a legend, I, I doubt it. Uh, okay. <laughs> but I hope so. Oh. Uh, John Ziska has unsurprisingly gone down as a total hero to the Czech and Bavarian people. Okay. Interestingly enough, he is one of the very few commanders who never lost a single battle, like uh, yes. I said earlier. Uh, after his death, many of his enemies said, The one whom no mortal hand could destroy was extinguished by the finger of God. God was like, okay, John, you've done a great job, but it's time to come home now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what's also kind of cool is that during World War II, there were quite a few anti-Nazi Czech guerrilla divisions that fought against the Third Reich and named themselves after John Ziska. That is so interesting, because we were just talking about how the Third Reich like made an idol out of Martin Luther. Right. Because of you know his shit. So. Well, it seems that like John Ziska, he, I mean, he's... A Hussite leader, but it, it was also a nationalistic thing. Like, the Czech people wanted to be their own. And, hmm. and of course, Hitler invaded the Czech Republic. Uh. Uh, or Czechoslovakia, I should say. And Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, so what happened to the Hussites? 
Uh, they managed to retain their independence for 10 or 15 years or so, but eventually Catholic forces managed to defeat them. Aww. Still, many people continued to follow the teachings of John Huss and still call themselves Hussites. When Martin Luther openly challenged the Catholic Church in the early 1500s, the Hussites were among the first to embrace the Protestant Reformation. And that makes perfect sense. It does. Mm. Yeah. What a legacy. Much better than uh, what we're about to go into now. <laughs> I don't want to finish this. <laughs> okay. Actually, I do. Let's, uh, Let's get into Dan. Kill him. Yes. Kill him, please. <laughs> I hold the key to his death. <sighs> oh, David Berg, you absolutely terrifying fucking nutcase. How will you die? Slowly. Uh, I don't know. He ended up in Portugal somehow and uh, died there, thank Christ almighty. Uh, 1994. That was in 1994? Yes. Wow. Yep. He's gone. They cremated him. But his legacy lives on. Oh, yeah. The Family International is still alive. And mm. I wrote well, but not really well. Okay. Um, they're sort of just posing as your everyday Christian church right now. Okay. Uh, the website looks like any other church website, but there's a lot of hiding going on there. Ugh. David Berg's biography is extremely short and mostly consists of apologizing for his more extreme views. So like, like not sleeping with his mom. Yeah. Uh, you know, they basically leave out all that kind of shit and only include the stuff that's might as well be out of the Bible. <laughs> Hubbard! <laughs> oh my god. We're going Sorry. back to Hubbard. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, the website is very, very scant on information huh. about him. They have all these pictures of him like smiling and, you know, he's young and he's handsome. Weird. Um, you know, he doesn't look like the nutcase he became. It's it's really bizarre. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the website is mostly made up of little articles talking about how TFI is the only thing that can save the planet from sin. And again, apologizing for old doctrines and belief, hmm. beliefs. And when I say apologizing, I mean like Plato's apology. They don't just say, sorry, we were wrong. They say, here's why we thought all that stuff. So, you know, go easy or whatever, uh, which is a big yeah. difference. <laughs> uh, but nowadays, yes, the family still exists. Uh, but in 2010, they restructured and reorganized most of their Doctrines, they called this the reboot. I don't like these names. No. Nope. The system, the reboot. Very, very culty. Yeah. Um, but this involved closing down pretty much all TFI churches. Good. Yep. Now TFI is just a shit Facebook knockoff, an info website, and a goddamn library of podcasts. Really? <laughs> and these podcasts are called Anchor. It's a devotional podcast. Director's Corner, which is about the TFI in particular. Okay. Activated, which just sounds like general spiritual shit. The Bible, read evocatively by British narrator Christopher Glynn. That's what they say. Uh, okay. uh, just One Thing, which is all about fundamentalism. Uh. Daily Might, inspirational and, quote, power-packed readings. <laughs> Daily Praise, uplifting praises, just read on the air, I guess. Words that uplift. So many. Devotionals from old TFI materials. Daily Light. Just scriptures picked by a guy named Samuel Baxter. <laughs> Faith's checkbook, all Charles Spurgeon all the time. Uh, Keys to parenting, exactly what it sounds like. And children's material, okay. which is, quote, a variety of audios created for children, including Bible adventure stories, devotionals, dramas, and a read-along early readers series. So they're busy, is what I'm saying. <sighs> Yikes. Uh, as for the, And you guys, uh, don't subscribe to these podcasts. Just don't. <laughs> Even for fun. Yeah. Uh, they don't need the support. No. Uh, as for the Facebook-like element, you can pretty much view everyone's TFI profile right there. Wow. Even if you're not a member. They have their photos, life stories, etc. All for the viewing. Oh, wow. Now, it's worth noting that TFI has rebranded itself just as a generic Protestant denomination. Yeah. Most of the crazy stuff is gone from public eye. Thank goodness. Uh, except for their end times chart, which mm. is populated by Cherry Pick News articles pointing to the end of the world. Nice. The Mo letters are all available online still, but not through TFI. I only selected a few to keep. No all surprise. of the Mo letters all of the Mo letters are actually available on a TFI recovery site. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I've taken the liberty of making a short list of the most amusing oh, things no. I can find in the Mo letters. No. Uh, but there are literally over 4,000 of these things, so I'm not really digging too deep. Mm. Uh, nevertheless, I found some things, and these things I will read on the air. Yeah. Here we go! Oh, no. Number one. Here's a little chunk from a writing called, quote, The Christmas Monster. Uh, and he, the way he breaks it down is with numbers, and okay. he always starts every sentence in all caps. So I'm going to shout the first sentence. Okay. okay. So I might have to back away from the mic a little yeah. bit. Uh, Number one. The most spectacular natural phenomenon any of us will see in our lifetime will be the appearance of a huge new comic called Kahootek during December and January of this coming winter. This shocking announcement is made in August, the August edition of the youthful London underground newspaper, It. 
in a very interesting article written by Michael War- Martin and entitled Great Balls of Fire. Uh, I'm so confused. Uh, two. And another one uh, called Mountain Men. The poor in spirit are a mountain people! They that mourn dwell in the mountain The meek are from the mountains Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness For they shall be filled The people on the mountain hunger and thirst And only God can satisfy them The people down in the stinking valley Can't see any further than the end of their nose And are satisfied with themselves and are full And he sends them away empty The merciful are from the mountain Everyone's from the mountain That's the... That's the message. If you're good, you're from a mountain. Okay, got okay, it. So, <laughs> quote, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Uh, this is a continued quote from the thing. Uh-huh. Uh, you never heard any of any St. Bernard dogs in the valley. The most famous dogs in the world are mountain dogs. They rescue and have mercy on the mountain people. They are the ones that obtain mercy and glory and fame! <laughs> let, let me just get this straight. So, he's saying that the merciful people are from the mountain. Yes. And they're stronger because of it, just like St. Bernard dogs? Yes. That's exactly right, James. Um, You're getting it! <laughs> okay. I see the light! But, you know, okay, I just gotta say, if it sounds like nonsense while I'm reading it out loud, I mean, I'm picking ones that actually make sense. Like, oh, no. in the very least, okay? Yeah. Go to the website if you're really curious. You can read all of them, and they are insane. <sighs> um, and many of them are just awful. Like, these are kind of funny because they sound stupid. Yeah. Um, but many of them are just, like, justifications for prostitution and things. <sighs> Fuck. Um, so anyway, last one. This one's called The Moon plus More on the Moon. Uh, this one is all crazy, so I'm just going to read the first paragraph of the first page. Oh, no. Okay. One. Well, praise the Lord! Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Here's Grandpa again on my simulated trip to the moon, trying to give you an imaginative description of how I see things to be up here. This time, I thought I'd tell you more about the moon itself. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's him. So, no, no. <laughs> Wait, so gr- his grandpa took him to the moon? No, no, he's grandpa. He's oh, oh right, 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 he's grandpa. So he's like, here's grandpa again on my simulated trip to the moon. Uh, what does that mean? Yeah, it means he's it means he's prophesying from space, I guess. Okay. Um. So anyway, so uh, he then goes on to say that all of lunar science is incorrect. Uh, because while scientists say they have measured the tallest mountain on the moon to be of a certain height, David knows it can't be that tall because he's been to the moon and measured it himself! <laughs> and they're wrong! They're wrong, James! The scientists are wrong! <laughs> what a wait, wait. fucking creep! <laughs> so Grandpa's been to the moon with the tape measure. Yes, yes. And he's measured the whole ma- all the mountains. Yes, oh. yes. And the scientists are wrong. <laughs> Never. Oh God. Oh God. And they're all that crazy. I mean, they're all that crazy. And when you read them, you know the uh, TFI support oh. website, uh, or rather, recovery website, uh, has commentary in the sides about like. Yeah, this is insane, this is insane, this oh, is really? insane. Oh, mm-hmm. really? <laughs> At least I um, see that. It's helpful for people who have been raised on this shit mm. who don't know any different. Mm-hmm. Um, he also thinks the moon landing was faked. Oh, right. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the old sea rock. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stanley Kubrick got involved and... Right. Know. Yeah. Well, I am gobsmacked. Uh, cult leaders, man. How do they even happen? I don't even know. What being... I don't even know what drove Berg off the brink. Yeah, he probably tried to jump his car and got a nasty shock or something. <laughs> probably. But who knows? All we know is that this man not only convinced himself that he went to the moon, he convinced a lot of other people that he went to the moon. Uh, All while looking like a tweaker shoe gnome. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> James, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? Ah, I gotta say, I need to go to the moon! Ah, great, I'll be by there later, we should chill. Oh, uh, what are you going to do until then? Uh, I guess clean up the history lab. Uh, that, that probably sounds good. Okay, mm, well, I think it's time to bring the show to an end for today. Feel free to send all your hate mail to we talk about dead people podcast at gmail.com. We will read all of it and nod along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com. That's patreon.com slash we talk about dead people. Even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to make a tiny t-shirt out of a dollar bill helps tremendously. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted <laughs> Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipatterson.com. 
Illustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of Family International play. No! No, we're not doing that! Yes, we are! No! They have to hear uh, it! No, I don't want to! They have to Enough hear of that! It. I'm leaving! Worthwhile.